I want to talk to you. We usually do an awful lot of scripture in here. We read a lot. We put a lot up. I just want to talk to you about a story, actually. This is my favorite season, but it comes with a lot of pressure. It does. Not to buy the perfect gift. I'm Scottish. That's not going to happen. Um, it's, it's that people want me to be involved in a culture war. They want me to, to say Merry Christmas, and if somebody says Happy Holidays, I'm supposed to be offended. It has become a political issue. And others want me to preach against materialism, especially to their teens that want stuff. And how we've thrown away Jesus for a sale at the mall. Still others want me to throw away the whole holiday entirely. They'll say, it's a pagan holiday anyway. But I've got to tell you, I love the lights. I love the tinsels. I love the trees. I even love the crowded stores. And I love buying presents, which is why I'm not allowed in a mall unsupervised during these times. So what's a Christmas-loving, present-buying, ornament-hanging, eggnog-drinking preacher to do? How about this? Let's talk about the reality of the Christmas story. Approach the birth of Christ the way it really took place and see how that changes things. Strip away the tinsel, take away the presents, no more elves and reindeer. I'm sorry, Santa has to go as well. For now, he's coming back. Pour out the eggnog, no more shopping. Let's just get back to Jesus. And while we're at it, let's strip away all the other stuff, the, the buildings, the possessions, the sales, the institutions, the commercializations, the deals. And let's get back to the night when God chose to enter the human story and realize how scandalous a story this really is. We clean it up. Don't do that. I, like a playwright, I love stories, and I love the. In fact, I've I said in, in our e-blast this week, the most powerful things in the universe, other than God, are not supernovae and solar storms. They're stories, and I see God as a playwright arranging his characters. We've got all the characters in place now. We've got Mary, the young maiden. She's going to play the role of the unassuming, unexpected hero. She will bring God into the world. I'm going to choose the most unlikely person for the most significant role. She's a woman. She's a youth. She's uneducated. Now, she knew her scripture. We know that from a prayer that she uh, says and Luke records, but not educated in schools. She's lower class. And by the way, that should remove any doubt about the kind of people God picks. He doesn't pick the shiny, happy people with all shout out to R.E.M. He, he picks the poor, the uneducated, the unlikely. But for the next character, he chooses Joseph. Now that's an interesting choice. Joseph's gonna have to make the best out of a very messy situation. His name is gonna be slandered. His reputation is going to be put into jeopardy. His, his business is going to suffer because in those days, you didn't hire somebody you thought was immoral or who consorted with the immoral to do business. And this, this guy's fiance is pregnant, and he's not the father, at least not the biological father. It's a pretty good drama God's got going now, but he brings in a couple distant characters, Caesar and Herod. Caesar, most powerful man in the world, commander of a nation that stretches from England to Africa. 
didn't make it all the way to Scotland. They got scared. They had to build two walls to keep us out. (laughs) But England to Africa, from France to Arabia, one whom all Roman citizens and subjects must confess, Caesar is Lord. But more dangerous than Caesar is going to be Herod in this story. Herod's going to be an extension of Caesar, but a local one, right there. Yeah, he's Jewish, but he's more concerned about his status in the Roman community than he is about the covenant community of God. Now, these two political powers are going to have huge implications for the baby that's going to come through Mary. We also need some other characters. We need Zechariah. We need Elizabeth. We need Simeon. We need the prophetess Anna. Let's put them all in this scandalous story. What is so scandalous, you might think. You might think, well, no, it's a story. It's a Bible story. There, No, you, you don't understand what this story does to the rest of the world. The Jews rejected this story. They could not accept that God would become flesh like this. The Muslims reject this story. They say Jesus was a prophet, but they call it blasphemy to say that God was born into human flesh, as the song we sang says. Therefore, they're opposed to us. The Buddhists say, we're all God, everybody's God, there's nobody that's a special God, and they walk away from us. The Hindus walk away from us because although they've got tens of thousands of gods, they don't have room for this one. This one puts on the flesh of a baby. This story upsets people. Now in the Bible, later, we get all kinds of titles for Jesus. They shall call him Yeshua, which means God will rescue and save you from powers and principalities. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God once roamed the earth in bodily form. They will call him son of David, demonstrating God's faithfulness throughout the generations. They will call him the lion that rules over all things. They will call him the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. They will call him the Messiah, which means the anointed one, anointed to embody the way of God to a broken world. They will call him the Son of God, for indeed he is. He is the only, truly, one, unique manifestation of God. And they will call him Lord, because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. In him, all creation came into being, and in him, all creation holds together. These are very impressive titles, are they not? The problem with our story, though, is they didn't start using these titles for Jesus for a couple of generations after his death, burial, and resurrection. To them, this wasn't a Bible story. This was a scandal. It's easy to forget that and to compress history and shove those titles back to that birth scene, but don't don't do that. that. If you do that, you make him an ancient superman rather than a baby in a manger. And I think that's where the pagan part comes in. I love nativity scenes. I really do. I haven't seen an accurate one yet. Frankly, I don't want to. Because think of it, the real barn would have been dark, full of dust and motes of straw in the air, blood, the smell of sweat off of Mary, 
and off of Joseph. Uh, we still have some small ears in the room. Um, animal byproducts. A lot of those are there, snorting and such. And, and I know that um, we've seen the cartoons and such, and the animals sing and they speak to each other. And no, they would have continued to process byproducts. And it would have been awful, a horrible place to give birth. Nobody was shining. We have turned the story into something sweet and clean. We put white faces on Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. We put adoring, sweet-looking angels all around them. Maybe a few shepherds, sometimes a few wise men because we get the timing wrong. They weren't there for a while. But anyway, we, we, we let them show up early. We turn the story of Jesus into the birth of some Nordic myth. We've got, we've got the birth of, of Thor the Sin Crusher, not the birth of the Lamb of God. And that's just the beginning of the problem. If we have a sterile birth, we also lose the power of God at work. For you see, God works not only with the very unlikely. We talked about that. God works in the middle of pain, fear, darkness, and confusion. Think about Mary giving birth, thinking, I've been told this is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, God with us, and we're doing it wrong already. He's being born in a barn, and all we've got is dirty rags to wrap him in. He will sicken and die. God works in that. That's where God shows up. I, when I was a boy, I, I didn't get to see much in the way of art. As I grew up, I got to see more. And I saw a lot of paintings of uh, people going to church or people worshiping or nativity scenes and the like, and they're all cleaned up. But this isn't a Norman Rockwell painting. Don't pretty up the story in the Bible. Don't wipe the sweat off of Mary. Don't hide the blood. Don't make the swaddling clothes white and clean. Matthew and Luke don't let us do that. Let him be as human as he was created to be. Now please understand, don't lose the thread. He is God, but he is also human. And when Jesus was born, he was born as a human baby. Allow him to have a sense of humor. Allow him to be angry with religious leaders. Allow him to show his emotion in all the different colors that the Gospels tell us he did. Allow him to be a man. Let him develop as a man of intense faith. Don't make him out to be some sort of 12-year-old genius and wizard. Some of the apocryphal stories do. If you don't know, apocryphal stories are, are, are books that were written long after Jesus was born and died and resurrected and ascended up into heaven, and yet they would try to act like, no, these came from the old days, and they would have Jesus killing a kid for making fun of him and then making dirt uh, or muddy uh, birds and throwing them up, and they became real birds, and, and it's all very exciting stuff, but it's not true. He was a 12-year-old. He went through all of that with us. Jesus, like you and I, is in process. Remember, he didn't even officially hit the public scene until he was 30. 
The concept of a developing Jesus may be strange to you, and some of you might be thinking it's irreverent, but it is not. Remember, if you read the Gospels, there are several times he's surprised at something, or he's frustrated, or he's angry, or he cries. In a word, he is human. Don't clean that up, or he becomes useless to us. He has to be somebody who understands what we're going through. Please allow his parents to speak a fresh word of encouragement this morning. In Matthew's gospel, Joseph is a focal point. He is sadiq. He is a righteous man. Now that, that was a, you worked hard to be considered sadiq, righteous. The state of Israel to this day awards the title of righteous to very, very few people. The righteous man. Oscar Schindler, who saved so many, they gave him the title righteous, sadiq. But once you lose this, if you lose it, it's, it's devastating. He was sadiq. He was a righteous man, and yet he was being asked to do something unrighteous, it seems, to the community. What will he say? Will he say yes to God? Will he believe in the angel who saw him in a dream and told him, don't divorce her, or will he just chalk that up to bad Chinese food or something that he had before he went to bed? What is he going to think? Is he going to allow his wife to be to endure shame and gossip and the rest of their lives be difficult? There goes Jesus. There goes Joseph. You know about his wife. It's scary to think about it, but it's true. Had Jesus been conceived today, he would have been a candidate for abortion. But they gave birth to him. In our own age, people raise children without benefit of marriage, and nobody looks sideways. And the legitimacy, in fact, that whole concept seems a bit quaint. But the heart of the story is more than that. It's bigger than that. It's more profound than that. This is the heart of a just man who wakes up one day to find his life wrecked, his fiance pregnant, his trust betrayed, his name ruined, his future revoked. It's about a righteous man who surveys a mess he has had absolutely nothing to do with, a real mess, and believe that God is present in the mess. Don't miss that story with all the glitter. He claims the scandal. He gives it a name. He owns the mess. He legitimates it. And the mess becomes the place where the Messiah is born because a righteous man did not worry about his reputation. He just did the right thing. Now here's where I'm going to hurt some of you. I'm really glad that Joseph did not do what many of my conservative brothers tell me to do. They'll say, well, you just read the Bible and do what it says, as if the Bible can just be mined for any situation without thought and interpretation. If you're not aware of it, be aware of it. Nobody reads the scripture without interpreting it. As one man reminded me recently, do you know what the Bible Joseph read instructed him to do? Deuteronomy 22. Take her out in front of the people and stone her to death. That's 
what the scriptures said. And Joseph understood, however, that the scriptures must always be read through the heart and character of God. I'm so glad he didn't just read the Bible and do what it says, aren't you? God does not do cookie-cutter creation. He makes us all different. Even with his people, he makes us different. Every life is new. It's a new story, a new opportunity for God to work mighty ways, mighty things in frightening ways in that particular life. And every time he says, this is new. That includes your life. Just as we've done for this story, you need to establish and name the characters who will play a part in the plot of your story. You're going to have to find a hero. So in this, this story, who's the star? Well, Matthew and Luke have different opinions about this, by the way. As, assistant, as insistent as Matthew is about the centrality of Joseph in the birth story, Luke is equally insistent that Mary is, in fact, the linchpin to this whole divine scandal. For Luke, this makes sense. If you read Luke, Luke is the gospel for the people who are left out. In Luke, there's a reversal, always, in class. The lower class is the higher. Education, gender, religion, all of these are turned upside down in Luke as a result of the inbreaking work of God through the prophet of Nazareth, Jesus. And so naturally, Mary, being the lowest in the story, is elevated to the star. But if she's a star, she's a young star and a very improbable star, probably not older, brace yourself, than 13. Wow. Mary wouldn't have been able to vote, even if she was 30. She was a woman. But even in our world, she would, we wouldn't let her vote. We wouldn't let her drink wine at dinner. She wouldn't be able to sit in a high school classroom or go to the prom. She's 13. And yet God reaches into her world and says, I think you're exactly the kind of person I'm looking for. You might feel overwhelmed and under-equipped, Mary, but I don't call the qualified. I qualify the called. If you say yes, I'll qualify you. And if she's a star, she's a hesitant star. She remains humble through the whole affair. I mean, she wasn't one of those, you know, soccer moms that whenever, oh, my kid, you know, got an A in coloring. And, and so she says, well, you know, my son, God. You know, she didn't do that. <laughs> I would have. She didn't. She waits on the movement of God, obedient every single step of the way, going and speaking every place and word she's been instructed. But as alone as Mary is, she's not totally alone. Her life serves as a reminder of what it means to let God write the story of your life. In every story, including yours, you have to decide who the players are going to be. What allegiances are you going to make? Which ones will you avoid? Mary could have chosen Herod's path. All she had to do was compromise Jewish teaching for a higher place in the culture. Our kids are asked to do that every single day through media and the school. All you have to do is go along a bit more with the culture and you'll be more accepted, more love, a little bit less alone. 
But Mary's allegiance was to the one true God, and she did not bow down to any other Lord or any other state, nor did she go along to get along with anybody anywhere at any time. She chose to walk with God even when that path was as it was, dark, uncertain, frightening, and ending with her watching her son die and then her son leave. What about Jesus? What kind of hero was he? We'll talk more about that next week. But you can already know three things. What does a birth say about Jesus? That our God came to us as a humble child, approachable person, and as the underdog. How can he even be a prophet? How can he even be a rabbi? Do you know where he's from? I know where he's from. I know what his parents are. I know his story. The story he's... No. God picked somebody that would struggle. Listen carefully as we begin to, to try to wrap this one up. The Bible is essentially about the movement and activity of God. It's not really about our accomplishments and our failings. It's about the steadfast goodness of the one who started the whole story. The writer and the creator of the play decided to become a character in his own creation. We do not choose him. He chooses us. But unless we respond to the work of God, the kingdom is thwarted. I'm going to ask Kelsey to bring her team back up. In a moment, we'll sing a song and be dismissed. But as they get into position, I want to say this. In your life, you may not realize it, but just as with Joseph and Mary, all heaven is waiting to hear your response. Angels are ready to cheer. Will we cower away? Will we hide behind our family responsibilities and perceived morality and status and what other churches might think or what your neighbor might think or what? Will we hide behind our fear? Will we hide behind our insecurity? Will we look upon the dirt and darkness and confusion of the world as a sign that God is not here, not remembering that's where he does his best work? Will we hide because we're more passionate about Herod and his agenda or the rule of Caesar than we are about risking everything for the gospel? Mary could have hidden behind the, but I'm a good person wall, done nothing with her life, but instead she chose to be an obedient handmaiden of God. And now the story comes to us and invites us in. God is moving no less now than he was then. He's not retired. The star that shone over Bethlehem wants to shine again, this time in your life. God wants to break into your story. And when he does, it will not look like a scrubbed and backlit nativity scene. But are you ready to say yes anyway? Would you stand with me? This Christmas, God is inviting you and me 
to birth his good news into the dark world we see. The angels are waiting for our answer, and they promise to go with us should we choose to say yes. When you drive by the lights, the nativity scenes, when you see the tinsel and the trees, remember, we have a story. Will we say yes?